On March 27, 2019, a student from T.A. Thompson Junior High School was stabbed. As the news went out, there were many people trying to figure out what could this young man be involved in because this should not happen. Fingers were pointed at the government because there was a program that was in place to help such students that he, that was, he was involved in. You see, we live in a culture when people say, boy, these young people today, they are trouble. We never used to do anything like that. We never used to get in trouble as they do today. And I would agree that we do have our challenges with the youth today. But has anything really changed except we are all fallen beings? We put, the down, we put the youth down without trying to help or to offer any solutions or guidance. I would ask us as older people, and I, like I said, I put myself in there as older people, even though I consider still young, but I'm, I'm one of those older people. When is the last time you've had something encouraging to say to a young person? When is the last time you tried to help and guide them in the right direction instead of just putting them down? When is the last time you made yourself available to pray and talk to the youth, even in this church, instead of being judgmental and put them down? And I know I got all the young people on my side at this time, but I want to challenge the young people as well. When is the last time you took an advice from an older person without, them, without thinking that they're being judgmental to you? Because I think it goes both ways. We always like to point the finger to one or the other, but the reality is that we're all part of the body of Christ. Whether we're young or we're old, we're all one body. And I think it's too many times that we need to get from this mentality of us and them. And we need to realize that if we work together as the body of Christ at Calvary Bible Church, we can make an incredible difference in this country. You see, we need to get more intentional in getting involved in each other's lives. Not like how the videos show where we could duplicate ourselves and try to make them you know, into this hamster or whatever. But we need to go in with God's word and just teach them and, and talk about it. The next day, as I listened to a talk show, the show talked about how he wasn't pointing the fingers to the government. He said, we can't point our fingers to the government. We can't point our fingers at the police. We need to point our fingers to ourselves at the Bahamian culture. I thought to myself, wow, this guy is right. Because as we consider, we are all responsible to look out for one another. This was the worldly perspective. But as we look at Scripture and for the church, we are to look out for one another. And we are, in fact, to make disciples. So the question is, one is, who are to make disciples? The easy answer is all of us. Matthew 28, 18 and 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Again, this is a call for all of us to go and make disciples. Jesus called us as his followers to make disciples. I ask you this question, who are you investing in? Who are you discipling? Who are you saying, I want to invest in this person? Paul continued his theme all through Scripture as we think of 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. It says, follow me. As I follow Christ. I want to challenge the congregation this morning. We went around this congregation this morning. And I'm sure all of us can say, most of us would say, if it wasn't for so-and-so investing in my life, I wouldn't be where I am today. 
Who can say that? Let's raise our hands. Let's, let's go around the room. We can all say that. If it wasn't for so-and-so invested in me, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I throw that back at you. Who are you investing in? Who are you investing your life in? Who are you trying to disciple? You see, when we look at society, we hear so much about the mentoring program and this mentoring program, and even church people get involved in these different mentoring programs. But I ask you, are you making disciples? Or are you just being a part of another program and not making disciples? When we look at young people, sometimes we are so negative. But I ask, what are you doing to help the stigma that the youth of the country, more importantly in this church, are living their lives for Jesus Christ? You see, it's so easy to point the fingers. Lifeway did a, did a survey a couple years ago. And the number one indicator of why someone is staying or leaving the church after the age of 18 is because at least three people have invested in them when they were in church. Between the ages of 15 to 18. The number one reason they're staying is because people in the church are investing in their lives. On that same survey, number six, the reason why people are leaving or staying is people are leaving the church because the congregation is being judgmental toward them when they were young. They felt that no one cared about them. They felt that no one was trying to get involved in their life. This is huge because I think so many times we forget as adults that we made mistakes as well. That we aren't perfect. That we, if we look at ourselves and we think of our lives, we could all say, I wish I wouldn't have done this. I wish I wouldn't have done that. None of us in this room are perfect. So why do we sometimes expect the youth to be perfect? We expect them to behave in this way when we haven't showed them what it's like to be a disciple of Christ. In that same list, as we're going to look later on, as parents are the ultimate disciple of their kids, the number eight reason why a kid leaves or stays at the church is because their parents generally like the church. Which means that parents encourage their kids. Meaning that parents didn't talk negative about the church in front of their kids. You see, we need to be careful of what we say around our kids because they are sponges. They hear everything we say. So when we talk about this thing or that thing in church, they're going to hear about it. And they're going to take that on. And then they're not going to want anything to do with the church. Because all they heard about from us is complaints. So the question again is, who should be discipling? All of us. Where does discipleship start? Well, firstly, as parents, our kids are our responsibility. Deuteronomy 6, 4, 9 says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see, it's important for us to recognize that the first thing we need to do before deciding anyone, including our kids, is that we ourselves are worthy of following. As we consider, as it says in verse 5, it says, Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your 
might. Meaning you love God with everything. And it shows in your action. It shows the way you conduct yourself at home. It shows in what you do. You see, we need to understand that our kids, first of all, are our responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility. But too many times we like to point the finger back at the church because the church didn't do this for my kid. Or the church didn't do that for my kid. When we really need to look in the mirror and blame ourselves. Because we didn't invest enough time in them at home. Again, this passage makes it very clear that parents are the ultimate discipler. We are to teach our kids what loving God is all about. It makes it clear in verse 7 that the things of God should be the most important thing that we talk about in our homes. I challenge you as parents to think about this. What is the most important thing in your home? Is it God? How do you portray that to your kids? Do you make yourself available for things that the church may be doing? Or if education comes up and I have to drop them to this, you know, tutoring thing or this thing or that thing, what's more important? I could tell you what the most important thing what I see in culture today is that education. We will invest everything in our kids' lives in education. And we wonder why when they leave this place and they go off to college and they come back, they don't want nothing to do with God because we pushed them so hard in that education and we didn't invest enough in their spiritual life. And I know you want them to get a scholarship. I know colleges are expensive. I know all these things. But let me tell you something. When they go to college and they don't have the foundation of God's word and not just coming to church is discipling. But when they don't have God's word in the home, what do we expect? The reality is of today's culture is that they spend most of their time in school. And let me ask this question, parents. Do you know what your kids are learning in school? Have you checked their textbooks to make sure that they line up with what you believe? Because the reality is that a lot of these, even in the Christian schools, probably are not what you would teach your kids. I think too many times we just say, all right, you know what, I pay this money for education and they're going to teach my kid and I don't have to do anything else. And I know that's not true because they still come over three and four hours of homework. But the reality is that what are they teaching your kid about creation? What are they teaching your kid about God? It's happening in this country. It's happening where evolution is being pushed. It's happening where homosexuality is and, and, and gay marriage is being pushed. Transgenderism is being pushed in schools, in textbooks. What are we doing as parents? Are we making sure we are looking at those books? Making sure what our kids are learning? You see, the home should be the place where the kid is instructed the most. But as I said, it's so sad that that's reality is it's not. Can we send our kids to school for those nine hours or six hours? And that's what, the, that's what is everything they're about. And they're so tired to do anything else. I know for us in my home, and I, I mean, I said this, my house is not perfect by any means, because I'm sure you will hear some screaming coming from my house at any point, but we're not perfect by no means. But I do know we make it a practice and that we have some signs around our house with different scriptures and different Bible verses, and sometimes I know they're on the mirrors so that we could be reminded of things. But like I said, we're not perfect. But here this passage is saying, 
that they should keep this to the forefront of everything they do. They shall love the Lord their God with everything. That should be the forefront of everything they do. And it should be happening in our homes. Because I think too many times, again, we just say, you know what? I pay these instructors to teach my kids. But we don't look to see what they're learning. And let's ask this question. How many of you have heard your kids say when you ask them, hey, how was school today? What did you learn today? Nothing. We've heard that, right? Nothing. I hear that a lot in my house. But that's reality, right? We need to find out, and, and we are teaching our kids. We know what they're learning. You see, di- discipleship at home is not bringing your kids to church. But the church and me as a youth pastor come alongside of you as parents and help you in any way that I can by resources. Or just instilling what you are teaching at home from God's word. Again, does it mean that you should keep your kids at home and teach them everything? I would say no, because I think they also need to learn from other people and also to have that person and other mentors as we're going to look at later on to invest in your kids to make sure that they know, hey, my parents just aren't crazy. But there are other people who are believing the same thing and they're teaching their kids the same thing. And so they, we, I can trust what they're teaching me. Which brings me to the main text for the morning, which is Titus 2, 1 to 8. And this is God's assignment for the body of Christ. For us as Christians, everyone in this room who call yourself a Christian, this is our assignments of what we should do. And we're going to break it down into what an older man, an older woman, a younger woman, and a younger man should do. Titus 2, 1 to 8. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Again, the passage starts off by talking about teaching. And not just any teaching, but teaching sound doctrine. Today, we have to be careful because there are a lot of people who are teaching. But the question is, are they sound? Would we line up with what they are saying? Because we can turn on the TV all day. We can turn on... Um, TV preachers, and we know that it's not sound. He then moves on and starts with the men. And I don't think it's a mistake because as men, we are supposed to lead. And today we see this as such a problem as men are absent in so many homes. And I think that even for the church, we need to look at us as men. Because if we look around our church and we look at ministries, there are more women involved in ministries in this church than men. We need men, because men are the leaders. Men are what are going to set the tone for everything. But yet we are lacking with manpower. We are lacking with men getting involved in ministry and leading by example, which means our women have to step up to the plate because the men are not stepping up to the plate. And that's not how it should be. We need men to really step up, to really be 
a person that we can, that younger people can look up to and say, yes, I want to be like that person because I see what they're doing. So what are God's assignments for older men? First one is to be a teacher. Godly men are called by God to teach. Recognize that teaching can take different and varied forms. As we consider this, he's talking about sound teaching, sound doctrine. You see, we must be true to the gospel of Christ and true to the word of God, both in belief and behavior. You see, whether we believe it or not, we are teaching by everything that we do. Because people are watching your life and they can see whether you line up with what you say. So we are teaching no matter what we look at, whatever we're doing. People are watching your life. The young people look and say, well, so-and-so did that. What are you teaching? What are you showing in your life? Secondly, be sober-minded. The more mature men in the church are admonished to be self-controlled, sober, tempered, or level-headed. This man is wise in decision-making and careful in making judgment. He is clear on really what matters and decisive in making godly choices. He rightly uses his God-given talents and gifts, his time, his money, and his energy. He is a man with right and godly priorities. And he has his motto for life, one simple thing. All that matters in life is pleasing God. Are you sober-minded? Are you a man that says, you know what? I want to please God with everything. I want to let God conform my mind. I want God to change everything about me. I want to be just like him. Number three, be dignified. He is to be worthy of respect. We hear it said so often, respect given is respect due. I ask you, is your life worthy of respect? Do you show respect? Do you allow yourself to be a person that someone would look up to and say, I respect so-and-so because of what they've done for many years? You know, I look at some, you know, older gentlemen in this church and I say, you know what, they have been faithful to this church for many years. And I respect them for keeping on doing what they're doing. And sometimes what we do is we just get comfortable and we say, well, they, someone else can do it. But we need to be worthy of respect. Number four, self-control. This is probably the key idea of the passage as we consider, this has been said to all four groups of some form, to be self-controlled. John MacArthur says it this way, should have the discernment, discretion, and judgment that comes from walking with God for many years. They control their physical passions and they reject worldly standards and resist worldly attractions. They refuse to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed daily by the renewed mind. And they are bathed in scripture. The fifth thing for a mature man is this, sound in faith. Mature godly men are to be sound or healthy in their confidence and trust in the Lord. This is the man that not only knows what he believes and why he believes it, but he shows it in his actions. Are you sound in faith? As a man, do you spend time in God's word and study God's word so you know what you believe? That you can actually teach your kids, teach your family? Or is it just a Sunday thing for you? That's when you pick up the Bible and you open it up. Six, sound in love. We need to love God completely, and this should show in our actions and the way we conduct ourselves regularly. The Bible says they will know you are my disciples by your love. 
Do you love people? Do you show love to people? Or as soon as that door is, and we say amen, you run out the door and don't talk to anyone. You see, we need to be people of love. We need to be a church of love, disciples of love. And lastly, sound in steadfastness or endurance. The Christian faith is not a sprint, and we know that. It's a challenge. It's ups and downs. It's hills and valleys. But he is that same God that we can always come to. He's the same God that is the same God yesterday, today, forever. As we look through Scripture, we look at many men who failed. Godly men. Think of David, a man after God's own heart. What did he do? A lot of bad things. But yet God still said, he's a man after my own heart. You see, this morning, we're not talking about being perfect. Because let's be real, none of us in this room are perfect. I'm not perfect. And when you do start discipling someone, you mentor someone, the reality is that you are opening up yourself to the reality that you are not perfect. As we look on later on and we talk about how men are disciple men, that's when we are honest with them and tell them, this is what I struggle with. Because none of us are perfect. That was to pursue God's assignment as an older man. What about pursuing God's assignment as an older woman? Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Again, the first part is to be reverent. The basic meaning is that a woman should live in such a way that she has a godly character. Her life and behavior are marked by holiness, reflecting the character of the Lord she loves and lives for. Be reverent. Number two, not slanderous. And it's so sad as we consider this that he's talking to godly people that he has to put this here. But the reality is that slander is so big in the church that, you know what, I don't want to leave this out. I need to address this. Because what happens? We put each other down instead of encouraging. Godly women are to speak the truth. They are not slanderers, making false and unfounded accusations. Again, before you put someone down, find out if it's true. Don't spread rumors. Go to the individual and say, hey, I've heard this. Is it true? And don't spread a rumor because that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be there to love on that person. You see, I think too many times in the church we are so judgmental that we can't help those who have messed up. We think there are those sins that, you know what, boy, that person, they're so bad. Ain't nothing I could do for them. We're supposed to encourage everyone. We're all sinners, saved by grace. Yes, some sins do have more consequences than others. But that's when the people need you the most, to love on them. Not to put them down. Number three, slaves to much wine are level-headed. She must always be in control of her mind. She must allow the Holy Spirit to consume her and not alcohol. Let the Holy Spirit be seen in her life. Again, as we think of Romans 12, let the Holy Spirit transform her mind and her life and everything. And four, be a teacher. Just like older men, they must be ready to teach sound doctrine. Again, ladies, you are teaching the younger generation whether you believe it or not. 
people are watching your life and seeing what you are doing, what would they say about you? Are you a person worthy of following? Which brings us to God's assignment for younger women. Titus 2, 4-5 says, And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Again, as we see the first thing he says, and as you women teach the younger generation is this, show them from even your home how to love, their, love your husband. How are you loving your husband? What do they see in your house? Do they see a person who is loving their husband, being submissive as Ephesians 5, 22 says? Because this is God's authority in the home. What are you doing? Are you showing that? Are you being an example? Secondly, to love your children. Are you loving your children? Or are you just screaming at them, yelling at them? You know, I'm sure many of you have seen on social media this week just videos of going around of kids being disciplined in a way that's not loving. Love your children. Discipline is about love. Not about making them look bad, but show them how to love their children. Be self-control. Young women should be also be sensible and self-control. Paul again challenges a particular group in the church to exercise common sense and judgment. And the best way to learn this is to see it up close and personal in the life of another. Young women will best learn this exercise and wisdom in their lives as they observe the lives of older and mature women. Again, come alongside these younger women and show them how to live. We wonder why society is so messed up. It's because you know why? The generation hasn't passed it on. Let's be real. We're living in a different culture today. Number four, be pure. Show her what it means to be faithful in a marriage. Show her what it means to be above reproach, to be kind. Show her what it means. Don't put yourself in situations that are questionable, but always be above reproach. Five, working at home. You need to show them that this is the first priority, the home. And let me just say this, before I get crucified, I'm not saying that a woman should not go out and get a job. If a woman works, that's great. But the first priority is still the home. Whether we want to believe it or not, and I'm a man, the woman keeps the home together. Let's be real. We're the leader, but she keeps that together. I don't have to worry about when I come home if things are out of place. Keep your home together because that is your responsibility, your first priority. Not your job, not your boss. Your home is your first priority. And this is so lacking today. I'll give you an example. I, as you know, on Friday nights, you know, we have different young people that come, you know, from neighborhood and different things. And one day just talking to, to one of them and, and just talking about their home situation. And this was a young, young boy. 
And just talking to him, I said, well, you know, what's going on? I said, you know, he said, well, I just moved. You know, my, my dad left, and I'm, I moved, and now I'm living in a different house. I said, well, who are you living with? Well, I'm living with my two sisters. I said, well, how old your sister is? One is 21. One is 18. And I said, wow. I said, that's no home situation there. And also, he said, my sister's boyfriend. And I thought to myself, this is why society is the way it is. And what are we doing as a church to help? How are we invested in the next generation? Number seven for that young woman is this. Sorry, to be, be kind. A young woman should be kind. And number seven is be subject to your husband. In keeping what we said in, in Ephesians chapter 5, she should, the woman, the wife, should be subject to her husband. Show what it's like. Show what a home should be like when we invite people in, and they should see it. And I'm not talking about putting on a show, but let it be our lifestyle. Let it be what people see all the time. And like I said, no family in this place is perfect. I the first one to tell you my, my family ain't perfect. But let's learn from our mistakes. Let's trust God to help us through the different problems. Because that's who we need to turn to. Which brings us to the last set of people. God's assignment for the younger man. In South China Post it said this, What a real man needs is another man to talk to and reinforce his maleness and to help him to be a better husband. Without such a friend, men risk reverting to a mother-child relationship with a spouse. Men become helpless and insecure and increasingly revert to the classic overgrown kid who expects to be mothered. Men have few positive role models. Very clear. Men are to disciple men. They need to show them how to live. Not a woman. Men invested in men. And like I started off and how this passage started off, it talked about how older men, and now ends with how to be involved in a young man's life. Because the reality is that we, in this society, this culture, we have too many boys growing up without a father figure in their home. Even in this church. The question is, what are we doing about it? How are we investing in this generation? Verse 6 and 7, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teachings show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may, not be, may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Number one, here it is again, be self-controlled. The self-controlled man actively engages the battle for the mind, knowing that he must control and discipline his thought life if he is to win the battles of the Christian life. Again, you have to be consumed with God's word. There are too many things out there that are just, as we think of the internet and our phones, that are just trying to get us not to be self-controlled. Two, be a good example. Be someone that they can look up to. Our lives should speak for ourselves. And we need to be an example worthy of following. As Apostle Paul said again, follow me as I follow Christ. Three, be sound in doctrine. Make sure the young person you are pursuing godliness and sound doctrine. Don't get twisted with everything else the world has to offer. And lastly, be sound in speech. 
Again, it basically means to be above reproach. Don't let your speech hinder your life. You see, too many times in life what happens? We say one thing and do another. Don't let our mouths dis, you know, disqualify us. Be a person ready to speak love and truth. In closing, every child at some time needs a mentor. Every child of God is, at some time needs, needs a mentor and is called to be a mentor. For the honor of Jesus and to the sake of the human soul, let us all be about the business of doing what God created us and saved us to do. His work, His way, and always for the praise of His name. Again, this is God's assignment. Not my assignment, but God's assignment for the church. What are we going to do about it, Calvary Bible Church? What are we going to do with the people that are sitting next to the young people that we have in this church? Are we going to invest in them? Are we going to disciple them? And let me just say this too. I'm not even just talking about the young teenagers. I'm not even talking about that. We have young adults. We have older ladies and young adults. No one is too old to disciple someone. You need people who are in their 70s and 80s to look at the ladies who may be in their 50s to help them out. We need that to go all through our church. No one is disqualified from mentoring someone except if you don't know Christ as personal Savior. Everyone needs a mentor. Everyone. What are we doing at Calvary Bible Church? How can we make a difference? Not just here, but in our community. And we do already have some initiatives that have started with some young women, which is great. But you know what? It's sad again that the women have taken it on before the men. We need our men to step up to the plate and invest in the next generation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this morning. And we thank you for your word that is true. Father, we pray that you just continue to just get honor and glory and praise. And we just pray again that you would just continue to be honored in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>